Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to the Bunker Daily. I'm Andrew Harrison. It's not all coronavirus, recession, exams, chaos and Donald Trump on this podcast, you know. As regular listeners know, we enjoy a quality beer now and again. And the past couple of years have been a golden age for UK brewing, with more brewers than ever before, better beers than in my lifetime at least, and a sense that in life at least one thing is going in the right direction. How did we get here? What's the state of independent brewing in the UK? And what will COVID-19 and the impending recession mean for the drink that is, according to Homer Simpson, the solution to and cause of all life's problems? I delighted to have Pete Brown, the Don of British beer writers and a proper raconteur here with me. You can buy his new book, Craft, an argument why the term craft beer is completely undefinable, hopelessly misunderstood and absolutely essential right now on Kindle. And it does exactly what it says on the tip. It's definitely the right time to be talking to him. Pete Brown, bank holiday comes the six pack of beer, but it's back to work. A-G-A-I-N, as Blair said. <laughs> I'm up to 24 packs now. That's the spirits. How are you? You're right. <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, jolly good. When you're in a situation where Aldi and Brewdog are both fighting each other on branding, you do wonder if we've passed some sort of milestone, don't you? That this is now at the centre of the the national conversation. Have you tried Brewdog Yaldi or Aldi's anti-establishment IPA yet? Uh, no, uh, I, I did go in Aldi about a month ago, and never again until I'm vaccinated up. Basically, it's not the oh, best right. place uh, during the Rona. But Brewdog have passed masters of this kind of engineered spat and and. Big being the KLF of beer, aren't they? They are, and I, I think they're one of those vital forces, really. They're now so big. I mean, you, you, Brewdog is now one of three, Punk IPA is now one of three beers available on EasyJet uh, in-flight snacks. You know, it's we, we've gone wow. beyond the point where this is kind of some some sort of hipster niche. Craft beer is now mainstream. And, and Brewdog are far too big now for the craft beer uh, world. You know, when you and I talk, we will find analogies between music and beer at least every 30 seconds. And mm. Brewdog are now, you know, the band you saw in a club that are now playing Wembley Stadium that you don't like anymore and you prefer their earlier stuff uh, in beer I, terms. I wonder if they are the clash, basically, because they, like, totally yeah, they are. are doing Shea Stadium, yet the beer's still pretty good. It the is. Beer's pretty good. It is. I mean, Punk IPA is now not the same beer it used to be. It's definitely being engineered for it, for this big kind of Sainsbury's local audience that it now has. But they're still outstanding brewers. And, you know, they, they do still brew beers for, for the connoisseur as, as well. And their low alcohol range is is is, is fantastic. I mean, they, so they do everything from, from 0% ABV beers that taste like the real thing through to, you know, the strongest beers in the world, these barrel-aged super strength things as well. So they're, they're really good. Am I wrong then to say that the past couple of decades of, of have been a golden age you know because in the 80s when i was starting to drink beers are terrible they were gassy they were flavorless and now brooklyn and Brewdog dog and thornbridge and all these things they're all in tesco's it has it really been a golden age or am i just getting too starry-eyed about it no it really really has and and it's difficult to separate that out it's useful to kind of talk outside our little craft beer bubble because within the craft beer bubble it's kind of hard to recognize the golden age when you're in it and i really think we have done so my first book uh man walks into a pub which i uh, wrote in 2002, published 2003, 
towards the end of that, there's a passage in it where I'm trying to kind of rally the troops for, for interesting beer. It's like, it's not all just lager and boring, warm, flat brown ale. You know, there's a, there's a beer in, uh, in Scotland that's brewed with heather and there's a, and there's a beer in, in Dorset that's, that's brewed with elderflower. You know, there are interesting beers out there. And I look back on that passage now and it's like, geez, you know, there's, <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of clutching at straws in 2002, 2003. And now there's infinite, infinite variety of beer. Um, we've, we've got, not only have We've got more brews in the UK than we've ever had before. We've got beer styles that were dead 20, 30 years ago that are now revived. We've also got record imports from all the kind of Belgian traditions, proper Czech and German lagers. America's gone crazy and created a load of new styles. And all these different traditions are cross-fertilizing and creating new things as, as we go. So what, why did that happen? What, what made it happen? What drove this? Um, it's like my, my, my first ever history uh, O-level question was what what are the seven causes of the french revolution and uh, <laughs> you know that there's about nine causes really so without going into them all i think i think a lot of things combined at the right time big beer got very boring and serious and commoditized we stopped drinking as much in pubs started drinking more at home uh, at the same time beer adverts which is why i started working beer really i used to work on i used to love the advertising when in the 80s when i was at school it didn't make me want to drink beer underage. It made me want to work in advertising. And, and That's an even worse habit to acquire. <laughs> exactly. It took me a long, much longer to give it up. So big beer got boring because you weren't allowed to do those funny ads anymore. And so all that money, all that budget went into uh, price promotions in supermarkets. So so everyone just started shopping lager on price. So they, that big lager abdicated its position as kind of the – the, the the brands that you loved then the the internet happened and because beer writing was excluded from mainstream media you know there was no newspaper or magazine with a, with a regular beer, beer column so so beer writers basically took over the internet we've got beer blogging beer twitter beer facebook and in real time you get this kind of and then when it went mobile in 2009 you've got people tweeting pump clips from pubs and going i am down here there's a promotion on with so and so get yourselves down here and it's all happening all around the world to the point that you then get brewers getting on a plane from california with a bag of hops uh, and going to brew at a brewery <laughs> in kent you know and creating these collaborations and things like that so so a lot of those things all spiraled and all this was happening against the background where we were, we were kind of getting more into interesting food and drink anyway, across everything except beer up to a point. So mm. we're all starting to buy artisanal breads and going to Borough Market and buying expensive cheeses and things like this. And then... What? Even Ponzi Northerners like us, even exactly. blow like us are doing it. Yes. Exactly. Even my mates back in Barnsley making sourdough now. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that sourdough. And... Uh, and for a long time, beer was the only exception. So when it finally happened in beer, it happened with all that kind of pent-up force of something that had been suppressed for a long time. So, I mean, where we are now, I mean, obviously everything, every story in the world now is shot through until March of this year and then the pandemic happened. But yeah. before all that, was the, was the world of craft beer kind of, had it arrived and was not going to change? Or, or were, they, were the kind of developments that were about to happen that were kind of knocked off course by this? It, it's always developing um, and the, the cycle is accelerating. There's a, there's a massive anti-establishment thing in craft beer and there is that thing of if you get too big or if you shock horror if you sell out to a corporate if you sell out to a major then then you're persona non grata so so there's lots of new brews coming through all the time and styles were coming in and out of fashion at a, at a furious rate 
So if you went to a local craft beer pub now and asked for an IPA, you'd get a beer that was almost the opposite of the beer that you would have got if you asked for an IPA in that same pub 10 years ago. And when I tried to describe the IPA that I was after to a member of bar staff once, they said, oh, you mean a retro IPA? You mean an old school IPA? And I'm like, what? I'm talking about something that arrived in this country in 2007 <laughs> and, and what it was gone by about 2015. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it really is. The trends are moving so quickly now. God, they're selling hippie wigs and Woolworths, man. <laughs> it's, it's not, so what, you know, what are the, you know, the, the, what, you know, what is the person who was drinking craft, that craft beer 10 years ago? What are they drinking now? What beers I haven't heard of are, uh, are currently the hot thing. So it's all about New England IPA now. So what used to be IPA is now, is now been repositioned. That's now West Coast IPA. Um, and that's a beer that is clear. It's aromatic. Got all these lovely cascade hops, things like that in it. And it is, uh, quite a bitter assertive finish so really nice balanced beer um what new england ipa is is they've taken those bittering hops down to about zero and Mm. um they've looked for aroma hops which have really strong sort of tropical and citrus fruit characteristics and then if that's not quite enough they'll they'll add tangerine juice or pineapple juice or or grapefruit juice or whatever and then they will deliberately add lots of oats and maybe even flour to make it as cloudy as they can so you're now buying this stuff that looks like soup. In fact, there is a very popular brand in Barcelona called Soup, which is which is like this. So you're buying these hazy, golden, orange juice-like beers with very little bitterness, lots of sweetness, lots of fruit flavours. And it's, a, it's kind of the broader trend in food and drink, really, where everything's going kind of sweet and fruity. So uh, that's around for the next um, year or two, I would guess. I remember going out for a pint with you and I, I got a pint here and said, I think this looks off, Pete. And you said, no, that's what it's supposed to look like. Yes. You're completely out of touch. What's the stupidest thing you've seen anybody put in beer so far? I mean, I, I had something with Oreos in it and a, and a Dunkin' Donuts porter. Has anybody yeah. put Brussels sprouts in a beer yet? Not as far as I know, but what, the trend you're talking about there is pastry stouts. So yeah, so you're getting you're getting these stouts, which all all the ingredients of your of your baking cupboard are going into into stouts these days. There's uh, I've, I've seen cherry pie beers and that kind of stuff. You know, it's fine. Uh, I, I think the thing that's happened is that I'm now I now look more like a craft beer drinker's dad than a craft beer drinker. Um, <laughs> and and it's a bit like when when you get these successive waves coming in, like uh, punk and and disco and and new wave and new romantics and stuff. You have to kind of stand against what the previous generation did and go, no, you're, you're an old man now. So the fact that people like me are, brew- are drinking these really great craft beer West Coast IPAs, the younger generation of drinkers, people in their 20s now, they've got to choose something different. They've got to reject the beers that I drink and, and find some beers that they hope that I won't like. So it's a, it's a cultural product now as much as a, as a sort of something to drink. So you're basically drinking the yes in Chicago of beer while they want to listen to the ruts or Abs- drink the ruts, as it were. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Is the kind of the beer hipster that you see in adverts, the tattooed guy with the beard and so forth, is this now completely dead as a concept or are different people drinking this stuff now? No, they're still there, but there's, there's lots of tribes within it now. So uh, I, I sort of think of it as, as concentric circles and, and the bearded hipsters are still in the centre. And as craft beer styles get really popular, I mean, the, the kind of beers that I like to drink now, I can pick up in pretty much any supermarket. And so so the hipsters then retreat to kind of the inner the inner walls, <laughs> the, the inner right. keep. Uh, got right then, the mainstream aren't going to like this. And then my wife Liz comes along and says, oh, actually, yeah, I quite like sour beers, salted, uh, traditional German ghost style uh, with uh, the addition of pineapple juice and rosemary. And they go, damn, damn. 
the mainstream likes that now, right? Let's yeah. go even more extreme. Let's retreat again back to the inner walls again. Um, and and so the hipsters are still there, kind of trying to trying to stay ahead. Um, but it's the whole scene's way bigger than them now. You know, I mean, it's the every everyone drinks it now. My mum knows who Brewdog are and and has tried the beers. So it's just that there's a sense of ownership. You know, um, yeah. craft craft beer used to be our secret. It used to be our little thing. And and there's this kind of sort of mixture of joy and dismay uh, now that it's no longer our thing, now that everyone else knows about it. Uh, to me, it looked like the, the major turning point was when you started to see loads of women at beer festivals, which used to be, let's be honest, overweight fellows of a certain age. And then suddenly women, a lot younger, and a, just a completely different approach to it, but genuinely like properly interested in what was available. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the absolute joys of it. We think of it in this country as, as of beer as being a, a male drink. If you go somewhere like Spain, so in this country, I think it's about 20% of the volume is consumed by women across across the beer market. If you go to somewhere like Spain, that's 40 or 50%. There, there's, there's nothing mm. intrinsic in beer that makes it unappealing to women. It's just the way it's been presented, the way it's been marketed. It's 90s lad culture. It's 80s cheesy ads with three blokes leering at a barmaid in a local top, you know. And and what craft beer has done is studiously avoided that. It's gone away from that. It's much more inclusive. Craft is really like, like the progressive end of the beer market. Uh, it's, it's not just in kind of fighting sexism. I mean, the the sexist pump clips that you see on real ales are pretty much a thing of the past now, thanks to some activism against that kind of stuff. And and the and it's you know it's not it's not always drunk in pints it's it now comes in elegant glassware the flavors are much more varied and diverse it's not just about drinking loads of volume um, and so yeah craft is really engaging with women and uh, I think it's like a quarter of craft brewers are women now so it's uh, it's it's a much more positive uh, image of beer than than we've had for a very long time I think was it like a thousand years ago all. Beer was brewed by women. Absolutely, it was it was a kitchen job. It was what the the woman of the house did, um, and female brewers were referred to as brewsters, and and they were oh, really yeah. So that's where the word comes from, uh, and and they were they were the people who made beer, like 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 every kind of uh, important thing in the house. And I think it was the it was basically medieval monks who decided that beer was far too important to be left to women, and yeah, basically assimilated it into kind of uh, male pyramid hierarchies and and kind of kicked women out of it so let's talk about what the what the pandemic and covid and the impending recession are going to do because we've had too much fun so far let's see what the miserable <laughs> stuff we saw all the horror stories of millions of gallons being poured away from uh from pubs that closed and even local authorities having to issue licenses to pour beer into drains because it would it would kill the ecosystem of the sewage. That's which right. I found incredible. Obviously, we've seen the tentative reopening of pubs. Some places are better at social distancing than others. Is the government doing enough to preserve pubs, and is it doing enough to preserve that independent brewing sector that you just described? Absolutely not. In fact, it seems to be going out of its way to shaft the independent brewing sector at the moment. So all the help that was given to you know, all things like the eat out to help out scheme and things like that, reductions in VAT on food, none of that applied to beer or brewing. So so the brewing sector and you know wet lead pubs pubs that kind of rely on drink rather than than food have been given no help whatsoever by the government and on top of that there's just they've just issued one of the big things that i didn't talk about earlier that led to the huge boom in craft brewing was a tax change in 2002 that gordon brown introduced called progressive beer duty or small brewers relief and if you brew below 5000 hectoliters you basically get a rebate on half the duty that you pay on your beer 
Uh, and so last month they announced that they're reducing that from 5,000 hectoliters to 2,100 hectoliters, uh, which basically screws everybody in that middle section. Uh, basically means that they've got to pay more duty, equivalent to about two members of staff uh, annual wages. So just when they're absolutely down and reeling, remember the hospitality sector got shut down yeah. before pretty much anything else did. It's been the last to reopen. I've seen figures that show that hospitality has been worse hit than any other sector. So on top of that, small brewers are getting hit with stuff that would be cat- catastrophic even even in normal times. I mean, is anybody prospering? I mean, we've seen you know home delivery and beer clubs that seem to have uh, changed yeah. the game a little bit. I think I, I mean, read that uh, local beer delivery searches went up five hundred percent on Google. Yeah, and there's been some wonderful stuff. I mean, I think with anything like this, you see, you can see. I've, I've always I've been saying for the last six months that uh, COVID's brought, brought out the best and worst in humanity at the same time. And if you were a, a, a small brewer uh, with a couple of vans delivering to local pubs, then very quickly those were adapted to doing home deliveries. I was ordering from people like Hackney brewery and you know ordering some beer at 10 in the morning and it was on my doorstep at 1 p.m so that's been really great there's been a bit of a haves and haves nots thing so if you were canning and bottling equipment is is very expensive and if you'd already invested in that then you did pretty well uh, by yeah. focusing on home delivery and stuff and takeaway and, and things like that if you if you were reliant on cask sales in pubs then you've done very badly and a lot of those brewers are you know not in business at the moment and whether or not they come back or not we, we don't know yet there just seems to be a bit of a boom in no alcohol beer as well and not least because so many people you know i spent, we spent so much time at home and you hear these stories of uh you know on the bbc yesterday i became an alcoholic on lockdown the idea that you know you're at home the whole time the temptation is just have a pint and have one earlier is kind of biting into people but also at the same time you're seeing growth in like really good no alcohol beer like i know you like you're, you like big drop don't you and i do yeah. as well Do you think that's going to be a permanent thing or is it just lockdown related? No, it was a massive thing before lockdown started. All the trends of people wanted to be a bit healthier, wanted to go to the pub, but maybe not uh, wake up with a hangover the following morning. People sort of taking extended breaks from drinking like dry January, which which I do every year. And there was always this sense of it'd be nice if we could have that beer, but, but the methods of making low alcohol beer meant that it was a pretty ropey product. And if, if you tried like a, you know, a caliber or something like that back in the day, it's pretty hard to convince you how good they are these days but but the technology's changed so you can now brew a full strength beer and then use reverse osmosis to just take the alcohol out so all the flavor's still in there you're not getting any off notes or anything like that so we're now getting really really good quality uh, low alcohol beers to the extent that sometimes i start drinking them and and stay on them because uh, i'm i'm getting all the kind of sensory benefits of drinking a beer and keeping a clear head beyond the pandemic obviously brexit's coming and it looks like it's going to be a no deal hard one surely the the industry must have projected what this is going to mean because apart from the basic level of importing beers you know we we import ingredients and raw materials as well do we know what this is going to mean if we get this heavy tariff hard brexit um i mean one of the biggest problems has been for export Uh, a lot of small craft brewers have been quite successful exporting beers to to europe and the amount of paperwork and red tape that's now kind of multiplied by hundreds has made that impossible a lot of things like it, what you get in the uh, in the craft beer bars is these small kegs uh, these kind of mini kegs and they're they're kind of one way they're disposable so you have to kind of constantly buy new stock of those they all come from europe so yeah it's going to be it's going to hit us pretty hard uh, it's going to hit the industry pretty hard it's really um uh <laughs> a perfect storm you know 
Mm. Do you think we're going to see fewer brewers and a decline in the quality of beer then? I think it's inevitable. Um, the other thing that's happening is that a lot of it favours the bigger brewers. A lot of the bigger brewers are doing these seemingly philanthropic uh, exercises, like when pubs reopen on the 4th of July. Hey, we'll give you a 1,000 free pints. We'll do this, that, and the other. You know, the small print is if you take that bloody craft beer font off the bar and put one of ours on instead. Oh, uh, nice. and, and so they're in a position to be able to help pubs by increasing massively increasing their distribution and giving people free stock in a way that small craft brewers can't. So we're going to see a contraction. I, th- I think a contraction, the number of brewers was coming anyway, and we are going to see that probably brought forward. But I think in terms of the trends that drive people to want to drink interesting beer, it's always going to be there. I think we've changed now. If, you, if you've had a beautiful IPA, if you've had a fantastic imperial stout or a barley wine, you're not going to wake up one morning and go, do you know what? I'm bored of all this variety and joy and flavour. I think mm. I'll go back to drinking Foster's. So... I think the shape of the industry is going to change. Uh, there's going to be a shakeout, fewer small brewers, and that's all a, a crying shame. It really is. But I, I think the craft beer movement is here to stay uh, as, as a broad concept, definitely. Uh, finally, you're an industry analyst, but you're also you know, a, a beer lover. What are your current favourites? What, 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 what should our listeners get on? All depends on your personal taste, but um, I've been doing. Um, I've been shopping. Uh, <laughs> this is a terrible thing for for a supporter of small breweries to say, but I've been shopping a lot of supermarket deals. <laughs> there, I've said it. <laughs> I've said it. I'm taking money out of the hands of small brewers who need it the most. Right now, I'm drinking Brewdog's Lost Lager, which is uh, a pilsner. Uh, I mean, they call it you know a 21st century pilsner. I don't know what, what it is about it that makes it 21st century. But but a lot of people kind of dismiss lager as being. Uh, there are people say to me, oh, you're a beer writer, right? You won't like me because I only drink lager. There's nothing wrong with lager. We just get incredibly yeah. bad examples of it in this country. And Brewdog Lost Lager, does everything you want lager to do. It's cold, it's fizzy, it drinks, it's really refreshing. But it's also got kind of a proper Pilsner flavour and really got some kind of depth and some character to it. So I'm drinking a lot of stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot of new brewers coming up who are really exciting. I'm buying stuff for the packaging because I'm doing this book on beer design and can art and, mm. at the moment because that's another thing that's changed is, is how gorgeous everything looks on the shelf at the moment. And yeah. and some of the stuff I've had from that has been fantastic. Um, I'm just trying to think of some names, but people like Good Chemistry, people like uh, London Beer Factory, uh, I'm just looking at my shelves now. There's some great, some more lagers coming out of Utopian, which is a company down in Bristol that bring kind of proper German style lagers. There's just, I mean, depending on your style, I think you're spoilt for choice uh, in pretty much any any category, really. And there's bad ones as well. There's a lot of people making poor quality beer and passing it off as something good. Hey, look, I'm a craft brewer. I'm young. We're new. So there's a bit of experimentation. And like you were saying about, oh, I think this is off, I don't like it. If you don't like one style, there's another style for you. If you want something sweeter or drier or more complex or simpler than the beer that you've got in your hand, there's there's definitely one there. And just uh, ask the advice of of bar staff if we get back to pubs and uh, and people in shops. People who work around craft beer tend to do so because they're really passionate and knowledgeable about it, like the record shop guy. Although I find the people in beer shops much more approachable than the record shop guy used to they be. They are, because they're, they're, nice. they're quite nice. They're quite nice. They don't say, oh, you're drinking that, are you? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not too much of that, because I think the thing about the record shop guy was that they knew they were cool. And and the beer shop guy is still just slightly insecure. We, the, the beer people still really, really want more people to get into it. Uh, they're, they're still much more of a kind of passionate, evangelical swell to to a lot of people working in it. And and it's a great way to uh, to explore your palates, just to kind of have a bit of a tasting. Certainly in a bar way, if it's not busy, they'll give you a few samplers and tasters and things like that, and uh, and hone in on what it is that you like. 
Pete, thanks for joining us. I really, really want a pint now. So congratulations <laughs> for that. You've knackered my working day. I'm here to serve. Listeners, there's a new Bunker Daily every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday with a main panel podcast on Wednesdays. You can get every edition of the Bunker early and without adverts, plus our delightful range of Bunker merchandise as well, if you back us on Patreon. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. Thanks, Pete Brown, for joining us. Thanks to you for listening, and we'll see you soon. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold, and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. <laughs>